Super Lake Edition. Today we talk with maybe a girl. Now rarely do we ever have guests who have Wikipedia pages, but maybe has one. So let's read the first paragraph. Maybe a girl, also known as G. Pudlow, born July 27, 1986, is an American drag queen and politician. She came to prominence as the first drag queen ever elected to public office in the United States after being elected to the Silver Lake Neighborhood Council in LA in 2019. Girl is non-binary and uses she, her, and they, them pronouns. I actually met Maybe twice. Once at her polling, at our polling place in Silver Lake just a few years ago when she was running against Adam Schiff. The other was when she was a passenger in my Uber. Turns out we grew up really close to each other in the suburbs of Illinois. As close as Los Feliz is to Town. So now we'll talk about politics, playing football in high school, the Sunset Junction Street Fair, and the beautiful land of Silver Lake. So please welcome Maybe a Girl. Hey everybody, I am here talking about Silver Lake with Maybe a Girl. Hello. Yay. So excited to be here. Maybe I'm so happy to have you here. Um, as we discussed, I, I drove you once on, in an Uber. Yes. And it was like seeing a real celebrity. I love it. <laughs> I mean, LA is filled with celebrities, but there's only one maybe a girl. That's true. That's true. You are running for Congress again. This is yes. your third time, right? This is my third time running for Congress. The last time you ran, you got 28% of the vote? 28.9%. <laughs> and that was in the general election. And it's, it's so... Thank you for bringing up that number because that number... It's so fresh in my mind because just yesterday, and I'm not sure when this will go out, but sometime in, uh, I guess yesterday was the beginning of February, mm -hmm. I got notified that I was in an LA Times article, mm -hmm. and uh, it was for the California 30th Congressional District race, and the article was sort of acting as a candidate guide, or at least that's how they framed it. Mm -hmm. And I was really aggravated because... Well, first of all, I was pleased that I was in the cover image. You know, they listed eight candidates, pictures of eight of the candidates, and there's 15 people running in this race because yeah. it's an open seat this year. Yeah. But I was so annoyed with the LA Times because as I'm scrolling through the article, I noticed that a lot of the other candidates, and particularly the establishment corporate candidates, all got a very nice, chunky, descriptive descriptive paragraph about who they are, what their accomplishments are. And then you get to my name and it was a single line. Oh. And all it said was maybe ran against Schiff in 2022 and got less than 30% of the votes. A trans activist, maybe a trans activist ran against Schiff in 2022 and got less than 30% of the vote. And that's it. And it was such a deliberately negative framing. Mm -hmm. And uh, if truly, if they were an unbiased organization, they would have said around 30%. But when you frame something as got less than 30%, yeah. it's framed in a very negative way. Yeah. So I had to call them out and correct them and say, look, 
I was running against an incumbent last year, <laughs> not just any incumbent, That's right. but one of the most well-funded Democrats in the entire United States, an incumbent who's been in office for 22 years, who has a campaign war chest, uh, had a campaign war chest at the time of more than $15 million. Man. So anybody who is running in the race this year, had they had the audacity or political courage to challenge Adam Schiff, any of them would have been lucky to get, quote, less than 30% of the votes. Yes. And by the way, a trans person? Hello. Hello. 20, 29 point, what would you say? 28.9%. That yeah. is like unbelievable. We, yeah, we ended up receiving more than 60,000 votes. Wow. I mean, I don't know 60,000 people, but there's <laughs> more than 60,000 people that believe in what we are fighting for. Was your war chest less than $15 million? Oh, it was significantly <laughs> less. Uh, in fact, last year, uh, our last election cycle... Even making it through the primary election, and by the way, it was the first time that a trans non-binary person has ever advanced to a general election for a seat in U.S. Congress, uh, we still only ended up having around uh, maybe thirty-two, thirty-three $33,000 raised. And so, in other words, we were outspent over 500 to 1, yeah. and we were still able to earn almost 30% of the vote. And that's really significant because mm -hmm. the tides were against us. The establishment was against us. Yeah. And here's the thing. They can't hold me down. They cannot. And mm -hmm. I will not allow it to happen. Also, first of all, I like Adam Schiff. I think a lot of people in LA do. And he's on TV every day. And that's probably why you like him. That could be. You're right. But, but I'm saying if I was running against a guy who is likable among Democrats, mm-hmm, and on TV every day, and I'm not, 30% is a giant number. Oh, absolutely. He's on MSNBC every other day. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it's been, it was really challenging running against Adam Schiff for my first two election cycles. You know, to sort of back up uh, a moment, you know, I decided to challenge Adam Schiff uh, back in 2019 for the 2020 race because I, I took a hard look. I had just recently been elected to the Silver Lake Neighborhood Council. Uh, it was the first time that a drag queen had ever been elected to any public office in the United States. So, yes, I'm a trans person. I'm also a drag performer. I was really excited that my community voted for me for a local position, not because I'm a trans person, not because I'm a drag queen, but because they liked the ideas that I was bringing to the table. And it really inspired me to run for higher office. And when I took a look at all of the seats that were open, I was at least somewhat satisfied with the representation in the other offices at the time. But when I took a look at who my congressional representative was and really dug into his voting record and where his money comes from, it was really upsetting to me. And I think that Adam Schiff does a really great job of letting you know what he wants you to know about his congressional record and completely ignoring everything he doesn't want you to know. So a lot of people think that Schiff is progressive, particularly because of his work on uh, the impeachment, both impeachments, uh, because of his work on the Mueller report, because of his work on the January 6th committee. Those are things that I do appreciate about Adam Schiff. I don't want to paint him as this, you know, terrible, awful villain. 
But I do have to say that I take issue with people calling themselves progressive when they are taking money from weapons manufacturers and defense contractors and voting on every single war matter. Uh, Schiff voted for the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan. He voted for the Patriot Act, which we are still suffering loss of civil liberties from. Uh, he voted for the Saudi invasion of Yemen, which created the worst humanitarian crisis in the world right now, which is happening in Yemen. And then he is, you know, a staunch Zionist, and he is against uh, the idea of a ceasefire when here we are a couple of months into this, this major conflict, and tens upon tens of thousands of Palestinians have been bombed and killed, including more than 10,000 Palestinian children. There is nothing progressive about that, and I don't think there's anything... Uh, those are the kinds of things that I just don't really even think are forgivable. Right. So again, he has done some good work, but I do not think that it's totally, in my opinion, and in the opinion of true progressives, really overshadowed by you know his history as a warmonger. I feel like um, I feel like there's a lot of Democrats in that bucket. Um, people like Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who, who, for for example, my sister worked for Obama during the the first time mm -hmm. that he was running. And, um, and I hear people today from people city council who are like, Obama's not progressive. Give me a break. And, and so I like that. I like that there are Democrats yep. like you who are pushing the party more to the left because the Republicans don't have any problem Absolutely. pushing it to the right. And so I've got posters of Bernie and AOC because I appreciate that kind of courage. Is that what you're talking about? That is absolutely what I'm talking about. This idea that, you know, the Democratic Party in general has consistently moved to the right over the past three decades. Mm -hmm. Really ever since, um, you know, after Reagan was president, you know, Bill Clinton, again, had some really good things, but also had some really bad things. And then it's the same thing with, you know, going into Obama. Um, the problem is ultimately this idea idea that we exist within a duopoly. And when you have two parties, uh, both parties are trying to either stay in power or regain power. And when you only have two parties that you're working with, um, you know, it, it's first of all, not representative of the multitudes of ideas that are exist on a political and social spectrum. It, it's not truly representative of the people. You can't just break it down into this or that. People love to turn everything into a monolith or break it down into a binary when there is it's everything is more of a spectrum. Right. And so, you know, the Democratic Party has gotten further and further right over the past several decades, especially as it pertains to war issues. And those are kind of the issues that unfortunately I think a lot of Democrats overlook. So I am a Democrat. I've been a lifelong Democrat. Democrats, uh, but I am the kind of Democrat that is not afraid to hold the Democratic Party accountable. And my critiques of the Democratic Party are of the party itself and the politicians who are elected to the party, not Democratic voters. Democratic voters vote Democrat because they view it as the lesser of two evils. They view it as, okay, well, the Democrats are actually fighting for these rights, which I appreciate. Uh, you know, there is acceptance of LGBTQIA people. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are also a lot of issues that both the Democrats and the Republicans are actually very on uh, on very similar terms with. And military, mm -hmm. police ideas, um, war issues, that's where you actually see uh, that it, it is not a duopoly, but it's it, it's just one singular idea. So should I assume you're not going to vote for Adam Schiff for senator? I am not voting for Adam Schiff for senator. <laughs> do you want? Do you have, have you uh, uh, acknowledged who you are going to vote for? Senator? I have. Yes, uh, I am endorsing Barbara Lee. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
She's pretty much a progressive, wouldn't you say? She, I would say she, I would definitely say she's progressive. The reason I am voting for Barbara Lee, uh, and a lot of people like Katie Porter too. Mm-hmm. I like Katie Porter's outspokenness. Yeah. I like her whiteboard that she brings around. That. She's really good at making a point. Yeah. Um, but when it comes down to it, especially right now, the biggest issue for me is, is this politician supporting a ceasefire? And Barbara Lee is the only one who is unconditionally supporting a ceasefire. And I know that I can trust her because this isn't just a stance of hers that came out of nowhere. This is something that has been reflected in her voting record ever since she's been in office. Um, Generally, I don't like the idea of a politician being in office for decades, but I will say that I really, really admire and respect Barbara Lee for being the lone vote against the Afghanistan war in the early 2000s. And she took a lot of crap for that. She was threatened by people within even her own party. But she made that decision because she knew in her heart it was the right, the morally correct and ethical decision to make. And now what happens? We look back 20 years and everybody now agrees she was in the right. You have even Democrats who are saying, oh, I made a mistake in voting for Afghanistan. I made a mistake in voting for Iraq and the the Patriot Act. And at the time, politics was very reactionary to 9-11. And a lot of people took big offense to Barbara Lee, you know, holding that position. But what what I think is really respectable is this idea that we shouldn't just go bombing entire nations and putting loads and loads of civilians at risk of being bombed to death uh, as as retribution. You know, I have this firm idea that justice is not revenge. I like that. I like that. I also think Democrats should want Katie Porter to stay in Orange County for a little while. Oh, absolutely. Because— her winning that district was huge. Yeah, her she did not win an easy seat. It was not yeah. an easy seat to win. Her her district is um, not as blue as districts like my district, which is still currently um, represented by Adam Schiff, nor Barbara Lee's district up in Oakland. Uh, it's too late. The decisions have already been right. been made. Um, you know. If, Paperwork's been filed, but I agree with you. I, I wish that she would have stayed in that seat because ultimately we've we have three strong, well-known Democrats who have given up their seats to try to run for U.S. Senate. And you know, my big fear is that we end up losing. We're not going to lose a seat here in my district, nor in up where Barbara Lee represents. But I do fear that Katie Porter's seat might end up turning red. I think that was a political risk, not just for herself, but for Democrats in general. But I bet you she felt the same way that you did when you ran against him, which was, he's fine, but I'm better. Yeah, but here's the thing. I think the difference there is that she did not decide to run to run against Schiff. She decided to run because she wanted a seat in the Senate. In fact, she mm. announced before Adam Schiff announced. You're right. You're right. She was the first of the three major Democratic candidates well, to announce. But wasn't the writing on the wall that he was going to go for it, though, too? Yeah, and it was all contingent upon um, uh, Dianne Feinstein's side, right, right. Uh, her seat. And, um, you know— she had announced that she was going to be stepping down. And then when Diane passed away, that was sort of like the, okay, you know, 
all bets are off. Everyone's going to jump in now. So let, can we talk one more, a little bit more about your race? Yes, absolutely. Who, Please. Who, um, according to the LA Times, I didn't read that article. Yeah. Who does it seem like they like the most? Well, actually, they have already made their endorsement. Oh, have they? They have made their endorsement. They uh, endorsed Laura Friedman okay. um, for CA30. And that announcement came uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. And I was also furious with the reporting because when they announced their endorsement of Laura Friedman, mm-hmm. uh, essentially it was a it was an um, an editorial. It was from the mm-hmm. editorial section. Yeah. And when I saw the article, I was really again annoyed and frustrated because they they talked about Laura's accomplishments and why they endorsed Laura, but they did continue to talk about the race and who else is running, and. One of the things that they explicitly mentioned was there are five other there are five Democrats running with experience in elected office. And they listed those other candidates and they omitted me. Mm. And I have been an elected official for the city of Los Angeles since 2019. I'm in my third elected term in this city. (laughs) So it was a blatant omission. Mm. And I was so annoyed and pissed off because I had people who were my supporters saying, hey, I read this article and I thought that, oh, well, maybe you weren't running anymore. So it's a very calculated move by the L.A. Times to uh, not only omit me from that article, but then to misrepresent me in this most recent article when I was the runner up just a year <laughs> and a half ago, I came in second place out of nine candidates mm-hmm. and received over, you know, 60,000 votes. And we have even more support this time around. I'm the only major candidate who has run for this seat previously. So while you have some candidates who are very well known in their districts, uh, they're not necessarily known district wide in this congressional district. Mm-hmm. So when you think about, you know, a state assembly member who's representing uh, Glendale, that person's not necessarily going to be well known in West Hollywood. And when you have the mayor of West Hollywood running, they're not necessarily going to be well known in Glendale or Burbank. However, I have been I have been running for the seat now for this is the third time I'm running. We have been we have been campaigning all across the district. I thoroughly know this district and the constituents and the people here in the various neighborhoods and how they differ. real quick out of politics we'll come back um who do you think is the most um who do you think is 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 the most i don't want to say popular trans person but the most recognizable trans person in california well i think unfortunately one of the the most well-known trans people is caitlin jenner Mm. uh you know she really caused a stir when she came out Mm -hmm. and I respect her as a trans person. I do not respect her from a political point of view. Right. And especially from this idea of she's she in general is very anti-trans. And <laughs> it just it doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah. And is this normal? In, but by the way, mm-hmm. I know you're not the, the representative of all trans people. Just like I'm not all Cub fans. But, <laughs> but you are. Yeah. You're, you're on my couch right now. And I'm very ignorant to this world. Not that I want to be. In fact, I don't want to be, which is why I invited you on my couch. So, if, if you don't mind. I don't mind at all. Um, 
among among the trans community that you know of mm-hmm. or in your heart, is this normal for a trans person to be no. that self-hating? No, it is not. Are? It's not normal whatsoever. And I think the only reason this person really maintains these uh, far-right views of of trans issues is because Caitlyn Jenner is a, is a Republican. And, um, you know, it, it's just, it's also hypocritical. You know, she has competed in women's golf tournaments and now, oh. and now she is here saying trans women shouldn't compete in sports. Oh. And it's, it's just kind of gross to me because. So, so as a trans uh-huh. woman, she competed in trans. As far as I know, I mean, I have not oh. done thorough history on her, but I've heard that she had done uh, trans or that she had done sports competitions yeah. as a woman in in women's sports, huh. and I think it was golf. Right. And but she's been very vocal about saying that trans people shouldn't be in sports. Yeah. And you know, here's the thing: it's really sort of a, a distraction of mm-hmm. um, sort of the greater issues facing the trans community. Yeah. You know, when it comes down to it, we're really not asking for special rights; we're asking for equal rights mm-hmm. and equal representation in society and in governments. And mm-hmm. so, you know. But here's the thing. We want to be able to use the bathroom like everybody else does. We want to be able to use locker rooms. We do want to be able to play sports. Maybe not me personally, right. but I will fight for the trans person that wants to be able to play sports. In, and in, mm-hmm. in that fight is I want to play sports on the team I want to play on? Exactly. You know, because trans women are women. Trans girls are girls. Yeah. Trans men are men. Trans boys are boys. Uh-huh. And... Uh, first of all, I don't really even necessarily love this idea of, of, uh, you know, gender segregated sports, especially for me as a a non-binary person. And there are many non-binary people, you know, again, I, we, I talked about this earlier, how like there's this idea that everybody wants to break things into a binary and a lot of people fall somewhere in the middle. So Mm -hmm. if I was to decide I want to play sports, I don't even necessarily know where I would even fit into that. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, again, we're trying to break things down into these binaries. And so, but here's the thing, like let kids play sports. I mean, if you are a, a, a queer youth, which I was once a queer youth, I already know how it, how polarizing and ostracizing that is to begin with. And then for somebody to come in and say, you can't use the bathroom, you can't use the locker room, you can't play sports. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's even more ostracizing. And now it's coming from authority. It's coming from adults. Yeah. And uh, as somebody who experienced a lot of bullying as a queer youth, I don't want to see any queer youth ever have to experience that again. And that it sort of ties into, you know, what we've been seeing happening in the local school districts in LAUSD and the Glendale Mm -hmm. Unified School District about this sort of battle for, you know, they call it parental rights, but they are only calling it parental rights for when it's parental rights of, um, you know, the children of bigots. It's never the parental (laughs) rights of children of queer youth or queer family members who have children who want to know that they are sending their child to a school that is going to be welcoming and accepting of them. And that's why mm-hmm. we like seeing a rainbow flag. It, it's, it signifies, oh, this is a safe place. This isn't some, mm. somewhere I have to worry about existing as myself. Should I have a rainbow flag in You here? do, right behind you, the Bernie. The Bernie you poster has re- a big rainbow on it. I didn't know. I, I just thought it was pretty. It is. Honestly, it is pretty also. I, did, I, I never equated that as a rainbow flag. It's definitely a rainbow flag. It might not it, specifically it, be queer, but... And it's even got the baby blue, which yes. is... 
are trans friends, right? Yes, exactly. So exactly. do you prefer the, the, the more modern? Um... Oh, yeah. I love the new flag because it is, you know, it signifies sort of this, um, you know, it's not just, uh, you know, gay and lesbian, but it also really exemplifies, you know, trans people are a part of this community right. and intersex people and people of color. And it's, it's overall a very, like, to me, just a, a welcoming symbol, whether or not you are a queer person. Yeah. It signifies, we love everyone here. Right. You're safe. Yeah. Because that's really all I want to express. Exactly. Exactly. If shit goes down, come on in. You know? Exactly. You're, you're safe. I mean, even when we've been out canvassing, it's so funny. Sometimes you see when you're approaching somebody's door, <laughs> there are cues of, are these people going to perhaps pull a gun or are they going to probably vote for me? You know, I see the progressive pride flag. Oh, we have to leave a flyer here. Right. I see one too many, you know, I see like a don't tread on me flag like okay let's skip this one and move on to the next one we actually had we were threatened with a gun last election cycle canvassing in atwater village no yeah Mm -hmm. are you really going door to door yeah we are i mean we also work with um you know uh election technology that specifically gives us you know breaks down you know the people that live here vote democrat the people that live here vote republican it's yeah. always interesting when we approach a household okay uh two republicans and two democrats live here Ooh. um and <laughs> you know again i hate breaking down people into a binary because there are good people who are republicans there are good yeah. there are people who are republicans that don't want to see people like me dead and unfortunately there are bad republicans who want to see people like me dead what what's the fear i th- for me no, or for, for them. why do they want you to be dead I think that they are uncomfortable existing in a society where, uh, you know, white supremacy and the patriarchy are not in absolute rule. We, you know, I think that's mm-hmm. part of the LGBTQIA liberation is the liberation from white supremacy and patriarchy mm-hmm. and totally changing up the idea of what gender norms are and societal norms are. And that makes some people uncomfortable and it makes some people resentful. Mm. Um. Do you talk about where you grew up in Illinois? Well, I so I actually I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. Lived there until I was nine, and then I my family moved to Chicago suburbs yep. when I was nine. Yep. And I grew up in a small town called Carroll Stream, yep. which is it's near Wheaton, it's near Schaumburg, and it's so funny that where you're from <laughs> is right next door. So so I'm much older than you. Uh, I graduated in '84, and I. I've, I've talked to my friends about this. <clears throat> we didn't know one gay person. Nobody came out at our high school. Did you come out in high school? I did. I actually, so I went to a private school for my first two years of high school. Miserable. I wasn't even <laughs> out. I wasn't even out and I was bullied as the gay kid. They, they knew or you had come out? I guess you could say they knew, uh-huh. <laughs> but I had not come out. And then I transferred to public school for my last two years of high school because I, I, it just was a miserable experience for me. Mm. And as soon as I transferred to public school, um, I ended up um, being the cool kid because I was out and, and gay at the time. And there were other other queer people that were out at the time. I wasn't the only one, but um, I think there were still a lot of people in the closets. Yeah. But um, it was nice that there was actually a gay-straight alliance at this school. And so there were... public high school? Mm Mm-hmm. And this was back in 2004. And those parents didn't freak out? No. Mm Mm-mm. 
Carol Stream. Carol Stream. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm literally blown away. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it, it was, for me, it was such a contrast from being hated for who I am right. to being loved and admired for who I am. This is what I'm hearing from, so, so I don't have any kids, but a lot of my friends do. And those kids are now going to college. But, and, and I asked them about trans um, people um, and they say they are the celebrities of the school. Is that, is that like, you know, unusual? I haven't stepped foot in a high school in a while, but I would imagine that might, that might be the case because I mean, I only say that because, you know, trans people, there's such a beauty of an out trans person because mm-hmm. they are living their full authentic lives as they see fits. And that, again, is a total disregard to this, you know, historic idea of gender norms and the patriarchy. And mm-hmm. uh, I think there's something to be admired about anybody who lives as their open, authentic selves. Especially in high school when everybody's struggling with their identity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No matter what, no matter who you are, if you're fat, tall, skinny, whatever it is, you think that's terrible and you wish you were something else. Yeah. Is the teenage experience that I've, that I had certainly as one of the few black people in my, my school, um, as light skinned as I was, I had a giant Afro. So I was as out as you can be, um, as far as that goes. And even though I was confident, God, I really wanted long hair, like David Lee Roth or something like that. Like anything other than who I was. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I, I think that, you know, there's this, because I don't want to give the wrong idea because there is this idea of, um, you know, I see so many people, especially on Twitter or right wing media Mm -hmm. saying how, you know, trans is a trend. Right. And, oh, this is so trendy right now. Everybody wants to be trans. Well, let me, let me just dispel that myth by saying that nobody wants to be ostracized in the way that trans people are ostracized in every facet of society from Mm -hmm. school to healthcare, to the workplace, to housing. Yeah. And 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 into governments. I mean, you know, uh, part of the reasons why it's so uh, interesting that I'm running for Congress is because I'm one of only less than a handful of trans people that are running for U.S. Congress. And in the history of U.S. Congress, out of the more than 13,000 people who have ever represented Americans in the U.S. government, not a single one has ever been transgender, Mm. or at least openly transgender. Mm -hmm. And that is not representation. That's not representation. And not only that part, but there are so many laws being introduced, especially over the past five, six, seven, eight years that are really trying to turn back LGBTQIA rights. Mm -hmm. I mean, 2023 was the worst year in modern history for anti-LGBTQIA legislation. There was more than 600 anti-bills that were introduced. Uh, Of those, close to 100 were actually passed. And about half of those, more than half of those actually specifically target trans people. Mm. Fast forward to 2024, you know, we're only a month in right now. Within the first week of this year, there were already 125 anti-trans bills filed across the United States. So again, I I try to be an optimistic person. Mm -hmm. I grew up a Cub fan. It's the only way I can cope is to look for the silver lining because my team sucked so badly. (laughs) Um, I want to believe that when these bills are introduced, they're performative. They know it'll never pass. They don't probably even believe in them. And and by the way, I think most of them are from Republicans, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So I feel like this is their dog whistle. Like, hey, I'm just as screwed up as you are. Vote for me. Or, Or should I 
believe that they hate trans people. I think it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, trans people were an easy target for Republicans, were a very easy target. Mm-hmm. But um, I do think that there are a number of politicians who believe the bullshit that they say and introduced. Mm. And then there's a number that are just doing it because they want to get votes. Either way, it's a terrifying situation. Right. One of the BS things that I bet you some of them believe in is that when you dress in drag, by the way, you're not dressed in drag today, which which was more shocking to me <laughs> than when I picked you up what, and when, I was. I, when I took <laughs> you to a drag brunch. Yes. Um, which I, I think really drives home your idea of, of binary. Like, you, no. Good, good luck trying to put me in a box. I'm not yeah, even that guy. Exactly. Or that I, woman, I'm sorry. Yeah, please, please. <laughs> I I am, you know, I don't like to be put into a box. Um, and for me, it's it's not like I wake up every day and I'm and I'm like, oh, how can I be the most trans person I can be? It's just we we exist and we are. Yeah. And, you know, and I think people try to really, especially when it comes to trans issues, I think that people try to understand what, what does it mean to be trans? But again, trans people are not a monolith. There's no, it's kind of like eating a Reese's. There's no right or wrong way to be trans. (laughs) And it's, you know, so, so, so one of the things that I hear a lot about, um, uh, about trans people is I don't want them to groom my children. So I don't want drag Queens at the library reading books. By the way, is that a big, percentage of trans people like is that that your thing like do you do you guys love going to libraries and and reading i mean i have done uh drag queen story hour i've been invited to do it at um the lgbt center and uh in weho that one Uh uh-huh yep Mm -hmm. and then uh you know the silver lake library i participated in an event um i think it's a great event that is not like this idea that LGBTQIA people and specifically drag queens and trans people, which again, those are two different ideas. You know, trans is who you are. Drag is what you do. And that's why you'll find some drag queens who are cisgender. And that's why you'll find some trans people who do drag, but then you'll find trans people that don't do drag mm-hmm. um, because it's, you know, maybe just not their thing. But yeah. it's it's a total myth that, you know, trans people and drag drag performers are trying to groom children. Um, In fact, if you look at, you know, if you look at the percentage of, you know, pedophiles in general, it's, they're much more likely to be cisgender heterosexual. Uh, There is no disproportionate amounts of, of queer people that fall into that category. And so Again, the idea is not that we're trying to make your kid queer or trans. We're trying to let your kid know that if they end up being queer or trans, there is nothing wrong with that. They are accepted. And if you end up having a friend who's queer or trans, accept them for who they are. Mm-hmm. And that's really the point of it is it's inclusion. So you're, and you're telling me somebody at Stratford Square and Carol Stream didn't groom you? No, no, I was not groomed to be I'm, I'm who kidding I because am, you know? I'm telling you. 
I would be shocked if I saw a trans person in Carol Stream right now. Wouldn't you? Actually, I wouldn't today. I think I think that I think a lot of it was the time in general. You know, yeah. I graduated in 2004. Uh-huh. At that time, you know, the only queer representation I was seeing in public was basically will and grace and mm. queer as folk right. and anything right. else was just sort of um you know an afterthought you didn't really see a lot of just queer people in general existing in society in the media was queer eye for straight guy was that after not that? queer eye uh i'm actually i'm uh queer as folk which was a yeah. it was a show i think on showtime yeah that was that was before queer eye for the straight guy okay okay mm-hmm. um can people be groomed to be trans? No. It's in the same exact way that trans people cannot be groomed, or as they like to call it, conversion therapy, to be cisgender, or in the same way that a gay person cannot be groomed to be straight. It just doesn't work. It's it's something that is innate within you. So, if I can ask, please, when did you know, I'm I'm in the wrong body? So I also don't even really like that expression in the wrong body. Oh, okay. I will say that. Um, perhaps some other trans people have a different feeling on that. But for me, uh, it's all about, you know, gender identity is about who you are on the inside. Okay. And oftentimes, especially in the society that we live in, we use what we see on the outside to try to figure out people. We are always trying mm-hmm. to put people into boxes and categories, even when we're not trying to be mean about it. It's just for an, an organizational way of thinking. Yes. You know, we, we put people, we, you put like things in like categories. Yes. Yeah. And um, so anyways, for me, uh, you know, I initially identified as um, just a gay, a gay man. You know, that's when I came out. In in high school? In high school. I came out, I think, probably when I was about 16. Mm -hmm. When did you know that you were a gay man? I, I... I think I kind of always had an inkling, even just like growing up, you start to like notice things within yourself. Um, and I think really, this is probably common, it was probably right around the time that I was going through puberty. Okay. And, you know, the fantasy thoughts that are going through your mind are not what society is telling you they should be. And uh, do you remember your first crush at a 13 year old? Uh, you know, I don't really. I mean, and I had girlfriends when I was in high school because, again, I didn't want people to know. You know, I, oh. I definitely had a, a couple of beards. This was even before really? I could even grow one. Like in- intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. As, oh. Especially when I was going to private school, you know, I didn't want to be othered. And I think that's mm. a big thing amongst youth and, you know, teenagers, especially like pubescent teenagers you you want to fit in as much as possible you really don't want to stand out mm-hmm. um but you know as i grew older i i'm really grateful that i came out at such a, a young age because i feel like i got to have like the you know late high school experience of like not feeling like i have to hide myself and right. my friends accepted me for who i was and my parents accepted me yeah. for who i was but um, so I kind of almost had like two coming out, you know, first time coming out as gay and now coming out as a trans person. And that happened probably about seven or eight years ago, shortly after I started doing drag. Mm. And this is actually a pretty common coming out story for trans people who have done drag. You know, drag can be a safe place to sort of dabble in experiments with, um, you know, existing as the other gender, you know, ho- however that is for you. And um, for me, it just started to feel 
uh, as soon as I started doing drag, it, it, it felt like it wasn't a costume for me. I wasn't putting on this costume. And I started to notice uh, after a lot of my gigs that a lot of the fellow performers that I was performing with cisgender performers, cisgender drag queens, the gig would be over and they'd be in the in the dressing room, you know, taking their wigs off, taking their costumes off, taking the makeup off, trying to like go back to their boy mode as much as possible. Mm. And for me, I just wanted to stay in it for as long <laughs> as possible because it it didn't, not only did it not feel like a costume to me, but it felt like a more accurate expression of my gender identity. Mm-hmm. Many uh, parents of, of gay kids say, we always knew that you were gay. Mm-hmm. Were your parents like that? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The- yeah. My parents, uh, my relatives in general. Uh, yeah. <laughs> They're like, you sure. never played football. You always played with the dolls. Or you well, actually got- it's funny. I did play football in high school. What? But that was also kind of a mask that I was wearing. What position did you play? Uh, I did both offense and defense. I was an offensive center. You were a big boy. I was. Mm hmm. Could- your Wikipedia says you're six two, but you don't seem six two. I yeah. am actually six two and a half. Oh my goodness! And that's without heels. <laughs> but uh, you know, this was also before I. You hit- were the center of the football team. This was before I hit my growth spurt. So Even this was before. like ninth and tenth grade. I was uh, I was probably like five seven, five eight at the time. But husky, mm-hmm. yeah, because that's that's uh-huh. one of the biggest yeah. guys in the field is the yep. center. Mm-hmm. And then on defense, your job was to beat the hell out yeah. of the quarterback. Yep. Did you enjoy football? I hated it. <laughs> I <laughs> hated it. What did you not like? I, 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 it's just too aggressive and too physical for me. I, I mean, I would get this anxiety about, you know, hearing the, the words and then just throwing my body against somebody. And like, if you've never had your head slam into somebody else's head when you're both wearing a helmet, it is not a comfortable or fun experience whatsoever. But I will say I did it mostly because my mom had these dreams of me being a football player. So I wanted to make my mom happy. And again, I thought it was a good beard for trying to, it's an excellent beard. you know, uh, there, I think there's only been one. I may have his football card up here. I think there's only been one gay person who actually came out. Yeah. That's again who came out because right. it's so you know it's such a hyper masculine. And his career was ruined as soon as he did that, and that's fucked up. It is, um, which is why I got his football card right away because I I appreciate people with courage because yeah. I want that in my own life. I I struggle to be more career, courageous, and so I I I like you. I appreciate your courage just like these other people. Thank and, you. Because um, um, I know how hard it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so your parents said that they always knew that you were gay. When they when you came out to them as trans, did they all say, yeah, I figured that one too? You know, yes and no. Actually, I feel like my grandma almost got it first. I remember actually, it's funny, when I first told my grandma that I was doing drag, before I even had my self-realization moment that I'm trans, when I came out to her as just being a drag performer, she thought I was coming out as a trans person and was so supportive. And I really appreciated that. And it actually helped me to feel more comfortable coming out as a trans person when I got things figured out. Uh-huh. But my parents, um, my mom is really supportive. My dad is really supportive. But it's been a learning curve, especially because I don't live even with them um, or e- anywhere close to them. They live in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and they're divorced. Um, but my mom has been really, I, I appreciate how much of an effort my mom has made to use the, use my pronouns. And also I don't like the word preferred pronouns. My pronouns are my pronouns, not what I prefer. <laughs> 
So mom's got really good about using my pronouns good. and, um, you know, calling me maybe and not dead naming me oh. dad, not as much. Um, and it's not coming from a hateful place. It's, I, I think he's just kind of getting used to it. And I feel like it would probably be different if I saw them all the time right? and was, you know, in constant interaction with them in person. But I think, you know, they just have this idea in their mind of who I am. Mm -hmm. My dad more so especially, but my mom has been really great about attempting and, and it means a lot. And same with the rest of my family. I've been really grateful to, you know, be accepted. And, you know, the thing is they still make mistakes sometimes, but it's, I I think a lot of people are afraid of making a mistake Mm -hmm. and sort of treat it as this end of the world kind of thing. Like um, if you accidentally misgender somebody, or if you accidentally dead name somebody, Correct yourself and move on. Yeah. Don't make it into this big deal because the general average trans person is not going to make it a big deal if your heart is there and you are trying and you're making that attempt. Mm-hmm. Let's let's be clear. Your pronouns are she they. Mm-hmm. I, I say that because I didn't I didn't know that. I thought it was I thought you were he they. And my mom when I when I said she was like I'm so confused. I was like mom you're confused about a lot of things. Um, and trust me, I'm not that far away from being confused either, but, but to your point, I think that there's a lot of people who want to say the right things, our hearts in the right place. Mm -hmm. And if we don't see it on your Twitter bio and, and you get written up in a newspaper as he, then we assume that that's what it was, but we shouldn't assume anything, right? Fortunately, I haven't been written up as, as he, and I've made it very clear on, you know, my social media, on my campaign websites. Mm -hmm. I think it would be a blatant misgendering uh, dead naming if they do that and that's happened that's yeah. that has happened it's really ugly but um you know people are like what does she they even mean it means that i'm comfortable with either she her pronouns or they them pronouns mm-hmm. so essentially anything but he him i don't feel i don't feel male and and that's the essence of my gender identity and it you know it fluctuates a little bit i was telling you earlier you know sometimes i do feel a little more masculine but mm-hmm. masculine women exist i do feel a little more feminine you know feminine men exist and you know there's this difference between you know gender identity and um you know sexual preferences if you will like uh, mm-hmm. sexual orientation yeah so but for me um i just i i'm not a man um, I consider myself, I'm a human being, yeah. you know, I'm a human yeah. being. I am who I am. A human being with a much more colorful closet than most of us. Oh, absolutely. Because you've got it all in there, right? Uh-huh. Is there anything you don't have in there? Um, I haven't had a suit. <laughs> like a regular like Bob a, Barker suit. Yeah. I don't really have anything like that. I feel like most of my clothing is pretty like you know when i go to a drag gig or i'm going to a an official campaign event mm-hmm. or a neighborhood council meeting uh, or when i get to congress you know i'm going to be wearing these beautiful you know lady pantsuits and these beautiful dresses <laughs> but um, most of the stuff that i wear i don't really think it's that gendered i mean right now i'm wearing overalls and a flannel <laughs> And people of all although, genders. Although your hat, your hat is kind of sparkly and it's, bedazzled. Yeah, it's got some, you know, it's bedazzled. But you also have a lot of tattoos. I didn't notice this before. I do have tattoos. Yeah, uh-huh. I have a lot of tattoos. You kind of look like, you know what you look like right now? You do look like a Midwesterner who, who doesn't want to come out as gay necessarily. Interesting. But that hat is a giveaway. Yeah, I try to let people... Well, if, also, I want people to know because I feel... 
especially I think w- women and trans femmes are more comfortable with people who are women, trans femme or gay. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I, I'm either dressing for comfort or I'm dressing for the gig. Okay, so there's a lot of questions I never wanted to ask mm-hmm. you because I feel like these are the the red herrings that the bad people put out there. Okay, bathrooms, sports, uh, pronouns, but now I I feel like I have to. When you're dressed like this, mm-hmm. if, if you and I went to the AMC movie theater in um, in Adam Schiff's uh, Glendale, uh huh. Um, what bathroom would you prefer to be in? Dressed as this, because you kind of look like a guy right now. Totally. You know, I also try to take how I'm presenting into consideration of how it's going to make other people feel. Good. So, you know, when I'm, when I'm like, when I'm, I, I even hate saying dressed in drag because it's more, it's more so when I'm presenting, when I'm presenting more feminine, uh-huh. then I like to use um, the women's room. And okay. when I'm presenting more male, it's not that I want to use the men's room, but I will do that to make people comfortable. Right. Um, and that's me personally. Other people might have a different opinion. Again, I'm not the end-all be-all on this topic. Which is but too bad. For me, it's just kind of, uh, I want to make sure everybody else is comfortable. Uh, personally, I prefer like the one the one stall, like where it's just a a unisex family bathroom. (laughs) Like I I really, it doesn't have to, I don't need to have neighbors in the bathroom with me. (laughs) Um, But if I'm going to, I'm going to try to make sure that everyone's comfortable, but I'll tell you, you know, men are not going to be comfortable when I'm walking in with six inch heels and you know, a (laughs) gown on. Have you had a bad experience in a bathroom? No, I haven't. And I think that's why also it's, there's this big myth that like, oh, these bad things happen in bathrooms. And uh, certainly they do. I don't want to downplay anybody who has had a bad experience. But when it comes down to it, every time I've gone to the bathroom and I have been femme presenting, you know what happens? I go in and I use the bathroom and mind my own business like everybody else in the bathroom. That's right. Can we talk about Silver Lake real quick? Yes. How long have you lived there? I have lived in Silver Lake for going on 12 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually assigned my lease February 12 years ago. So what, what brought you to Silver Lake? Well, I initially wanted to come to L.A. because my best friend had moved out here a year prior. And I started taking trips out here. And, you know, I think L.A. is one of those places where everybody has an opinion whether or not you have even been to L.A. Most people have an opinion. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of it's negative, unfortunately. That's and so right. when I started coming out here to visit my friend, I fell in love with this city. Right away. It's a gorgeous city. There's so much culture. There's so much to look at. And people are actually friendly here. You know, there's, I think LA, Angelinos get this bad rep as, um, you know, everyone's plastic and rude and mean. Anytime I've encountered that, it's either somebody who is brand new to LA or visiting LA. It's not right. actually the people that live here or are from here. Yes. So, That's but right. we just, I, I lived in Hollywood for a brief stint um, over by um, the uh, Gelson's on Franklin. Uh, my friend's uncle had mm-hmm. a guest house that we shared. But you it was. Were, you were mm-hmm. at the celebrity center of the Scientology? It's, yeah, I was within feet of it. Within <laughs> feet of it. And uh, it was a cute spot, but it yeah. was really uh, like a studio um, yeah. apartment, not really meant for two friends who were platonic. <laughs> um, so, a little tight. Yeah, so we said, 
we, you know, thought about different areas. I actually had wanted to move to downtown LA at the time. My friend said, let's check out Silver Lake. And so we ended up moving to Silver Lake and I just immediately fell in love with the neighborhood. And, you know, having been here for 12 years now, I definitely have seen a lot of the the changes to yeah. the neighborhood. It's definitely getting more and more gentrified. Mm-hmm. It's getting more and more expensive. I have an Air One right next door, which oh, is... Oh, that's, that's the part of Silver Lake you're at. Yeah, I'm right behind the Air One. That mm-hmm. Air One is a trip. It is. It, in fact... Just down the hill, that that little boutique hotel is is new. Uh huh. Yeah, that's and it. Literally, yeah, it's right. Talk about gentrification. Yeah, I mean that block because that hotel is not cheap. And oh, we, it's not and, at all. And we uh-huh. know how how Erwan is. Um, I used to drink at the forty one hundred a lot. Oh, nice. Yeah, which I love, and I'm so glad that they have the outdoor uh, patio now. Um, but I love that little area. So that was Congressman Girl. Yes, or Congresswoman, Congress, Congress, Congress person girl. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. I'm sorry, <laughs> Congress person girl. Can we bring the Sunset Junction Street Fair back? Absolutely. Are you I familiar would love with this? Did you ever that. get to experience? I never that? got to go, but I have heard the lore of yes. of that event, and everyone who who talks about it wants to bring it back. I think it would be a fantastic thing to bring what, back. What's stopping the Mayor Tanay from doing it? Like, you know, I think probably a big part of it is even that strip where it used to be held is so gentrified. It's now yeah, uh, so? a hotel, it's an Air One, and then a bunch of condos. Yeah. Um, they do do like a similar kind of festival annually in the summer. I forget what it's called. In, in the... Uh, um... Uh, on Santa Monica, right at the end. Oh, in in WeHo? No, no, no. Right in, in Silver Lake. Yeah, in Silver Lake. On so on Santa Monica, right where it ends at the junction. Okay. Uh, so basically, from Santa Monica and Sunset, where the Jiffy Lube is, yeah. to Santa Monica and Hoover. So down that little street. Uh huh. Which is probably fine because people can get around it if they. If, I mean, yeah. Closing Sunset for a, a, a weekend is is. I mean, they do don't have the, good they do it for the marathon. They sure you know? do, don't they? Um, but see, this this fair. Have you been to San Francisco street fairs at all? I have been. I've been to Pride in San Francisco. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, they, they close up block after block after block after block. No big deal, right? No big deal. In fact, it, people are excited about it. Mm-hmm. I, I feel because I lived up there for a little while. I feel like they've had like at least a half dozen every summer, it, with the different neighborhoods and. Therefore, they're all different. And what was great about the uh, the Sunset Junction one was you got to see how diverse the city is. Yeah. You know? And and yes, it might be less diverse now because of the gentrification you're talking about. But I bet you it's less than people think when they come out there. I think it's... Yeah, I, I feel like I could see both. Uh, I... I, I, so from what I heard about that that fest, you know, it was this great coming together of uh, the LGBT community For and sure. then also um, the Latinx community yep. in that area. And I will say that both communities, and there's a lot of overlap there, uh, have been out, uh, have been priced out of the neighborhood. Yes. I mean, even when you, you know, I can speak for, you know, queerness in, in Silver Lake and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm fond of saying make, you know, uh, I, first I want to say keep Silver Lake queer, but a lot of it has gone away. I don't want to say make Silver Lake queer again because it's too close to a slogan that I don't like, right. um, make America great again. Right. But, you know, when you take a look at Silver Lake, um, when I first moved here, there were at least twice as many LGBT 
bars in the neighborhood. Mm. And shortly after moving here, I just kept seeing them close. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're fortunate to have uh, Akbar in the Eagle. Mm -hmm. And we recently had a lesbian bar. Yeah. Trans Femme Bar open up. Um, Ruby Fruits. That's trans femme? Mm -hmm. Well, it's lesbian, but also they're very accepting of the trans community. I mm -hmm. actually went for a trans night there uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it was really cool. And it was just very, again, diverse and welcoming. I was told that the reason that there's not a lot of lesbian bars is lesbians just don't go to a lot of bars. I think that's false. Really? I think, I think, I think it's false, yeah. Lesbians, again, not a monolith, but... yeah. The lesbians I know like to drink and like to go out and like to have a good time. Uh -huh. um, I don't know why there aren't as many or lesbian may, or spaces, maybe they're not as much of drinkers as others are. I don't know. I don't really? know. Uh, it's so hard to say. It's gonna hang in there probably. I, I do. I, I think point is I think there needs to be more lesbian bars. Yes. Um, but in general, if you look at Silver Lake, yeah, there, there you still see essences of mm -hmm. queerness. Yep. But not in the way that it was, you know, 25 plus years, especially because I've read up on the history of Silver Lake and it, yeah. you know, has such a rich queer history. Sure I and mean, obviously with the black cats right. and, you know, the demonstrations that happened there. But there were, you know, a whole string of, of queer bars over mm -hmm. there. And um, do you think uh, Shake Shack next to uh, Black Cat is going to last? I think it's, I unfortunately think that it might. And <laughs> I, I have beef with Shake Shack. Do you? I have beef. What's your beef? Um, well, so they are, they are a big corporation now. Yep. You know, they have many, many locations. I tried, I remember trying Shake Shack when it was still <laughs> just a shack in Bryant Park uh -huh. in New York. Yep. My friend told me about this. You got to try these, these burgers. And we literally waited like an hour in line for a burger. Uh -huh. And it's just, it's, you know, it's a, it's a good smash burger. Yeah. I don't think it's anything that special. Yeah. So they started opening up locations in LA. Uh, my issue with them is that they, their bun supplier <laughs> is a, um, their bun supplier, which is Martin Rolls. Donates massive amounts of money to anti-LGBTQIA political no. candidates. Shake Shack is fully aware of the situation and still has not terminated that partnership. And then they have the audacity to move into Silver Lake, to move into the same exact building as the Black Cat, which was the first, the site of the first pro-LGBTQ demonstration that even predated Stonewall in the United States after Cooper's Donuts, but it was still one of the earliest. <laughs> Shake Shack has the audacity to move into the same exact building yeah. and paint a fucking progressive pride flag on the building while they are actively using a bun supplier that is funding anti-LGBTQIA candidates. Do you think it's hard to find different buns? No, I don't. Right. I don't. Find another damn bun supplier. <laughs> find somebody local. Absolutely. keep talking about gay bars and stuff sure is el cid gay bar oh that's a good question um i don't know it's gayish it's mm -hmm. gay enough it's gay friendly i feel like i see more gay events advertised at el cid mm -hmm. than i do but but you know we're we're barely post-covid so rock yeah. and roll hasn't really come back the way i want it to and i've seen a lot of rock and roll down there i love el cid 
I love El Cid too. I've been for many events and many different kinds of events. I actually, I did like a talk show there once called huh. Who's the Ross? I don't know if you've heard of that show. <laughs> Who's the Ross? Um, and I was in a drag show there once uh-huh. and they do a, um, they do a weekly event called Hot Dog, which is a that's big party. That's what I see all the yep. time. And that's a, it's a huge, super fun Awesome local like neighborhood party that they have every week. Like day drinking kind of a yeah. party. Uh-huh. Yeah. Great posters. Oh, yeah. That's the thing. Because obviously I, I love posters. And I'm like, oh, those people, those 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 hot dog people know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Absolutely. Great, great. Akbar, let's not, let's not just breeze over it. Oh, I, I think that's my a gem. favorite. Is it? Well, okay. Akbar is my my OG. It's Akbar, hard. To, it's hard to pick favorites as a politician. It maybe. is hard to pick favorites. It's <laughs> Akbar is one of my favorites, and I love Akbar because it is a. It, it's. I think it's also kind of one of those places where you'll see a little bit of everybody, yes. and I don't think that yes. even the most uptight. Um, uh, cisgender heterosexual person would have any issue going to Akbar. It's one of those places where everybody just sort of easily mixes together. Yes. Um, it is definitely overwhelmingly queer. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it's even gotten more so ever since I've lived here, but I love, I love Akbar. There's something just so special about it. Yeah. Um, and I'm also a big fan of the Eagle. I love the Eagle. We'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Akbar. I like because again, even, even though it's a suburbs of Illinois, I feel like Illinois in general just doesn't really like baloney. And a lot of these places in LA are just filled with baloney. Akbar is just a bar with, I don't think that much even decoration. There's like a mirror ball. There's mm-hmm. a guy playing music. Yes, the bartender is super handsome and his shirt's off. But, and, and yes, a lot of the crowd is too. But, but there's just not a lot of like nonsense going on there. Which I really appreciate. Those are all the bars that I like are just like, we're a bar. And they play some great music. Great um, music. They, do, they have great dance parties there. Yes. Actually, the first time I performed solo in drag was actually at Akbar. How about that? Um, so that, you know, they have a special place in my heart. Actually, I have a funny story about Akbar. You want to hear it? Please. So when I first moved to LA, um, I was working as a hotel concierge <gasps> in Intercon... In, um, in Century City at the Intercon. And you know, that's where Obama stayed once. I believe it. I actually met Nancy Pelosi there. How about that? <clears throat> I remember meeting her in the lobby and <clears throat> I was like, I just was asking her about her stay. I'm like, oh, do you need help finding anything? Blah, yeah. blah, blah. And she just looked at me and she looked at me and she goes, good to see you. <laughs> and it was just like the most like canned politician response. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I was working as a, a concierge there. That's what I used to do when I lived in Chicago. I worked as a concierge at a number of hotels. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, being in a new big city, there's a lot to learn when you're a concierge. And, you know, you're helping to plan people's experiences and their yeah. trips and go here, don't go here. Right. You got to check out this hidden gem. And I remember this family, this family came up to me and it was like, their kids were like youngish, I don't know, maybe like young teens. And they just kind of were giving me like conservative vibes. And they came up to me and they said, um, we really want to go to Akbar." 
I didn't know that there was a restaurant on the Sunset Strip no. called Akbar. Oh my god! I so didn't I'm either. like, oh my god, I love Akbar. It's right by my house. So I I sent them from Century City to the Akbar in Silver Lake, and they never came back to my desk. That's no. probably why. But I <laughs> afterwards, I was just kind of humiliated when I actually typed in Akbar. I'm like, oh, there's a restaurant on the Sunset Strip. I would have done the same thing. I didn't know. Is it still there? I don't know. The, I don't think so, actually. How do you put your name on, on that and not know? Akbar's been there since the 70s, yeah. right? Uh-huh. It's been there for a long time. Did you have your keys as a concierge? No. I always wanted to get my keys. And mm-hmm. I was a part of... Uh, I was a part of the Chicago Hotel Concierge Association, uh-huh. and I always wanted to get my Le Claydor keys. Um, yeah. There's, it's a very rigorous yeah. um, program. There's like very specific qualifications that you have to meet, and you have to get like sponsors yeah. and everything. Had I stayed in Chicago, I probably would have tried to get my keys. Okay, let's talk about the Eagle. Okay, because as an Uber driver and as a straight person, I'm cis. Is that what it is? Sure. Uh, if you identify What's the with term? if you okay? identify with the gender that you were assigned at birth, yeah. which is male, I'm yeah. male, then you are a cisgender. Should I be saying cis instead of straight? Well, I think you're both because cisgender refers to your gender identity, uh-huh. and then straight refers to your um, sexual orientation. Okay, and again, they're two totally different things, but there's oftentimes a lot of overlap, which is why people like me, I like the term queer. Okay. Because queer, it sort of is a reference to both my gender identity and my sexual orientation. And I feel like queer used to be a bad word. Now it's yeah, a good and there's word. still some people that don't like the word queer. Oh. Um, there are, actually. And I, I, I tend to see that I, I think that oftentimes it's usually a um, it's usually older gay men who mm. are, and I'm 37, so like, you know, maybe older gay men who are maybe like 15, 20 years older who really remember queer being a slur. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm a big fan of communities reclaiming words that are slurs and bringing them into their own vernacular and vocabulary. And so I like queer. Um, but uh-huh. here's the other thing, you know, even gay. When I was in high school, oh, that's so gay. Right. Uh, oh, uh, yuck. Oh, uh, that's gay. Yeah. And so, you know, gay was a slur when I was in high school. So I, you know, but I'm not saying, oh, you can't use the word gay. Um, so I think it really depends on who you're asking. But I like the reclamation of the word queer and the reclamation of the word gay mm-hmm. um, because they have both historically been used as slurs. Yes. And if somebody tells you they're uncomfortable with it, respect that. Right. It's not hard. Yeah. None of this is hard. None of this is hard. Um, the Eagle. Mm-hmm. So I'm driving people to the Eagle. And as you can probably tell by now, I'm a kind of a chatty driver. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, where are we going, boys? And they're like, oh, we're going to the Eagle. I was like, tell me about the Eagle. <laughs> and they're like, you see this leather? And I was like, I sure do. It reminds me of Judas Priest. And they're like, that's where we're going. But then I had another guy later who was kind of dressed like you, a Latino guy. And I go, we're going to the Eagle? I thought it was a leather bar. He's like, I'm just going to stand in the corner and like drink and like try not to like upset anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you're going to a place that you're a little bit scared of? He's like... 
that's why I like the eagle. It is scary. Yes. Is that how you look at it too? No, I, for me, it's like my neighborhood bar and uh-huh. I, I like to go during like, um, happy hour. I don't like it when it gets super crowded. That's just me. I think as I'm getting older, I'm like, ugh, crowd. Yeah. But, um, I like it cause to me it feels very much like a neighborhood bar. Mm. And I think that's what I find appealing about it. And the people there that I've spoken with are very friendly, um, you know, people that go to the bar, people that work at the bar, I have nothing yeah. but great things to say about them. And yeah, I think a lot of people view it as, oh, this leather bar. Right. And it is in some regards, like you will have a lot of people who come in leather gear. Yeah. Um, in fact, one of the bartenders that works at the Eagle just won Mr. Leather International okay, this then. past year. So it does have a, you know, a leather essence to it, but that's not all that it is. It's right. kind of like, and actually I will say one of the things that I really like is I've been starting to see actually like queer events. And when I say queer, I don't mean just gay men. I mean the spectrum of people that exist within the LGBTQIA plus community. And mm-hmm. that's another reason I like the word queer. It's a lot easier to say than LGBTQIA plus community. And I think it's kind of all encompassing. And so they do have events that are, you know, specifically for, you know, the more queer expansive community and not just, you know, gay leather daddies. all my questions you haven't been mad at me about anything thank you for all of you're that you're welcome of course i'm an uh, open book uh i wanted to ask one more question about sure. silver lake what else um okay we've talked a lot of gay uh stuff mm-hmm. let's say you're just a straight person coming to silver lake for the first time by the way a lot of people who listen to this have never been to la before and so they're 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 kind of getting their feelers about yeah. this because there really isn't a podcast that's just an hour about a particular neighborhood or the people who live there. Mm -hmm. And so when they listen, they're like, I think I'd like this. I I don't know if I would. I don't want to paint Silver Lake as like this crazy gay place because I don't look at it that way. Do you? No, I I don't. I don't. It's, I look at it as sort of this like, um, I don't even know really how to like describe. I don't know how to sum it up. Right. Um, I, I will say that a lot of people know about Silver Lake because Silver Lake has sort of gotten this reputation as being like this artsy hipster neighborhood. That's right. Yep. And I will say yes to a degree, mm-hmm. but but I don't think it's, you know, don't always believe what you hear. But Silver yeah. Lake always ends up in these like lists of coolest neighborhoods in it sure does. not only the nation, but the world, yeah. which I think is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's just an awesome place to live. I love yeah. it. I love it because it's walkable. Sure um, is. As somebody who doesn't drive, I walk to most of the places that I, I go. I didn't know you didn't drive. Is I that why drive? I was Ubering you? Because you Yeah, that's why you... Yeah. You don't have a car at all? I used to when I first moved to LA. And I ended up getting rid of it because really I was just using it to get to like work and, and my gigs. And you know, when I'm doing a gig, like if I'm going to be drinking, I don't want to be driving anyway. Good for so, you. You know, my day job, I work in Echo Park, so uh-huh. I work right next door. So I, I do take public transportation a lot. I take Uber a lot. Huh. Um, but, yeah, so... I don't even think Silver Lake's that artsy. 
I know it's not. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who are artists who live in the neighborhood. There's right. a lot of musicians. There's a lot of visual artists, but, a lot but of performing almost, you artists. You almost have to be an established artist or musician to afford it these days, right? At this point, yeah. I think, you know, I think one of the trends that we see with gentrification is, you know, these, uh, you'll find like a neighborhood that is, um, you know, uh, perhaps a low rent neighborhood. And then, right. you know, historically, a lot of the queer community is moving in because they're maybe not necessarily welcomed in other places. Yeah. And also queer people often tend to be poor people because we have a harder time, you know, finding and securing employments. So you, you tend to see these neighborhoods that are, they start off as sort of like artsy and queer and then that becomes appealing to a more gentrifying class of people. And then you start to see, you know, more dogs walking around, you know, the, the couples with their dogs and you start to see these condos go up and the rent just like massively increase. I mean, one of the reasons I loved Silver Lake when I first moved here was it was still affordable back then. And, you know, 12 years later, I'm like on the verge of being priced out of the neighborhood. And that's unfortunately, you know, what happens with a lot of neighborhoods that are gentrified is, um, you know, and I'm not even an original occupant of the neighborhood. And, um, so yeah, but anyways, Silver Lake, I think it's an awesome place. I think it's a, especially the, you know, the Sunset Strip in Silver Lake, yep. just a lot of cool things to see, a lot of cool shops and restaurants. And, um, but what I will say is I have noticed a, this sort of trend, and I think it also has to deal with gentrification. It's sort of almost like post-gentrification where um, the corporations are finally catching on and we're starting to see a lot of corporate entities yeah. move into Silver Lake. Shake Shack, um, you Oliver know, Doc, Peoples Doc across Martins, the street. Warby Parker. Yep. All of these places, and it's like they wouldn't be coming here if this wasn't a popular, you know, tourist destination. Right. Uh, do you go to the window for your burgers? I love the window. The window's yeah. great, and they ten serve times better great... than Shake Shack. Hmm. But way yeah. better. Way better than Shake Shack. Cheaper, I think. Well, yep. actually, I don't know. I haven't even been to the Shake Shack. I think it's four Lake. bucks for yeah, a window just a few burger. bucks. Yeah. They also serve a really great kale salad. That's such a mm. <laughs> that's such a Silver Lake or LA thing to say. But I love their kale salad. Would you Would you continue to keep that um, painted green sidewalk or, or uh, at the Sunset Triangle Plaza? Yeah. Actually, it's funny you mentioned that. We have actually brought that up at the Silver Lake Neighborhood Council. So I serve on the Neighborhood Council. I've been doing that for, um, I'm in my third term right now. I'm actually the most tenured uh, council member on the Neighborhood Council now. And so I've seen a lot of things come and go across our desk. And, you know, uh, Neighborhood Councils I have a lot of love for. Um, I think it's one of the ways that you can really connect with the city governments. And it's a way for people to have a voice in their governments. Uh, so, but we're not a legislative body, so we don't have any, we can't create legislation, but we can influence legislation. We act as an advisory board to city council. So if anything is, you know, being introduced in city council that has an effect on our neighborhood, we can chime in, but we also deal with a lot of, you know, hyper local matters as well. And I will say, you know, if you're listening and you're voting, whether or not you live in Los Angeles, vote all the way down the ballot because the further down the ballot you go, that's when it's going to have the most impact on your life and the life of your neighbors and your friends and your family. Um, You know, everyone always knows who they're going to vote for for presidents, but rarely do they know who they're going to vote for as their city council member or their neighborhood council member. And again, these people are going to be making decisions that actually do impact your immediate life. So anyways, I digress a little bit. Uh, The Sunset Triangle Plaza 
which is where the Silver Lake Farmers Market is held. It's um, the pain. It's a really bad paint shop at this point. You're the worst. It's like this sort of like dull green <laughs> with like polka dots on it. I bet you it looked. It actually did look great when it's when it was first painted. I saw pictures of yeah. it. I actually was proposing that we. Um, Totally repaint it as a giant rainbow. Ooh. I had wanted to put in maybe a rainbow crosswalk somewhere in Silver Lake. Uh-huh. Um, and then it was brought up, why don't we do the Sunset Triangle Plaza? Because it's, you know, this big open area. Yep. And uh, bureaucracy, you know, it's just... Uh, who's, who's your council person in Silver Lake? Uh, my council person is Hugo Soto Martinez. Ugh. He's mine too and he doesn't write me back. Same, and I'm he actually. He doesn't write you back. And I'm a neighborhood council member. I mean, I sent an email recently. What? It was a very big turnaround time before I got a response from one of his his uh, field deputies. I take everything personally in my life. It's yeah. one. It's one of my negative traits that I need to get over. But you're helping me get over it because I thought I'm just too crazy on Twitter or something. That's why he's not writing me back. But you're an actual person. You're a real serious person. Mm-hmm. Do you think he just isn't serious about this job? Um, you know, I don't know, actually. Because Mitch would write me back. You know, I will say that I did. I I was happy to see Mitch out of that You seat. were. I was very, I, in fact. The only gay council member? Oh, yeah. And I'm one of those people, I will not, I'm not voting for you be, just because you're gay or trans. Uh-huh. I want to know your policies and what you stand for. What right. I really, really disliked about Mitch O'Farrell was his stance and the way that he addressed people experiencing homelessness. Which is one and of your big points. In one your... of my big points. And, you know, the way that he did that mass eviction of Echo Park was the final straw for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that he framed it as some sort of progressive victory. In reality, 200 people were evicted in one night from Echo Park Lake and... He was framing it as this housing victory because a lot of those people were put into temporary housing. Right. But his office wouldn't make a distinction between temporary housing and permanent housing. Mm. So, of course, you know, yeah, that is a success that you got almost 200 people housed. Little does the general public know that this there's a time limit on it. It's, you know, rarely more than 30 days. It's oftentimes not even anywhere local. So you're displacing people. Yeah. You're giving them temporary resources. And then what happens after... Uh, you know, the temporary housing expires, they end up back on the streets in a different location. So it's a lot of shuffling people around. It's mm-hmm. Band-Aid solutions. It's inhumane. Mm-hmm. And out of the, out of the almost, I think it was, I think it was about 200 people, uh, more people died than actually received permanent supportive housing. I think only oh. about five, four or five people got permanent housing. Out of Echo Park Lake. Out of Echo Park Lake. And then fast forward about a year or so later and UCLA, I think they they did some sort of study and I I think it was about seven or eight people who were evicted that night were now dead. So more people died than actually achieved permanent supportive housing and he's touting it as a housing success. But I think that's why Hugo won. Yeah, absolutely. Because everybody felt terrible about Mitch. Absolutely. And I'm glad the fence is down in Echo Park. Um, I don't like the nasty no vending signs. Like yep. it's very like, I don't know, the, the militarization of our parks. I mean, yeah. you, I don't know if you've noticed how many video cameras are all over Echo Park. Now. I haven't noticed. Take a look the next time you go. Okay. I want to say there's like around a hundred.
fan of the mayor? I, <coughs> excuse me. Um, that was <laughs> not one really question. A, that was not intentional. Uh, I definitely, I voted for Mayor Bass. Um, I voted for Mayor Bass easily over Rick Of course. Russo. That, the decision between those two was not easy, or was not difficult, but yeah. she was not my first choice of all of the candidates. You um, wanted, um, Gina. Uh, Gina, right. Gina. Mm-hmm. Uh, either Gina or Alex. Alex Grunenfelder also was, had some good ideas, um, but Karen Bass, I, I voted for her. And then, you know, I ended up getting an invitation to the inauguration as, you know, being a part of the, um, you know, city governments. And I actually turned it down because I found out that a couple of weeks before they totally cleared all of these encampments around where the inauguration was being held. So literally just for the optics of this new mayor being inaugurated, right. they displace people who are already having to live on the streets. Mm. I said, no, I'm not attending this and let her know why. Right. Uh, since the inauguration, have you been as let down as I have about her? Yes and no. I think that she's been doing some good things. Um, I don't think she's terrible, but I definitely, I think, I think there's a lot of areas for improvement, especially when it comes to housing in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. You know, we, one of the things that I participate in every year is the annual um, homeless counts, which just happened a few weeks ago. It's mm-hmm. um, organized by the LA, um, it's LAZA, which is a, a county organization. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, ever since they've been doing these point in time counts, at least for the past five or six years, homelessness has increased by double digits Oof. in Los Angeles, double digits. And, um, and then you you have these politicians coming in and saying, oh, we got to fix this. We got to fix this. And they're not actually doing anything to fix it. They're not changing zoning laws to make housing easier to build. They're not. Right. They're, again, it's a lot of Band-Aid solutions, um, a lot of temporary housing, which certainly has its its purpose and its importance. But we what we really need is more permanent, supportive, and affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Also major thing that's happening you know this month covid protections are ending and a lot of people who have who owe back rent from 2020 and 2021 they're going to be served eviction notices so i'm really disgusted that city council did not take any sort of initiative to try to extend covid protections right because we already have a homelessness crisis we should be doing everything we can to get those people housed but we should be doing everything we can to make sure that housed people stay housed LA City Council has a racist in there. A. Oh. <laughs> well, one um, one that we we that's pretty obvious. KDL. Yeah. Who the governor and the president said needs to step down. Which I mean, I'm an old man. I've never heard that in LA before. Absolutely wild. Wild. And, Sorry, and, I didn't mean to cut and, you off. Please. And this is this is my disappointment with the mayor, the black woman who I voted for. Also, how do you just let a racist just? Be in City Hall, like, no big deal. Like, don't you make it annoying for them to be uh, uncomfortable for them to to do this? Like, how is he able to, like, run again and you don't say anything? I mean, it's – here's the thing. I – technically – you can because it's not written in any sort of bylaws that yeah. oh one cannot run if if, right. if they're racist. If that was the case, we would have a much a much better government all across the board. Yeah. Uh, KDL should not have, I, I cannot, I, I just can't even fathom that he has decided to run for city council again. The gall. The gall, the audacity, the, you know, the And gumption. he might win. He got more money than everybody so far. He, I, it's hard to say. I, 
there's I will say this. There are some really great candidates running. Good. Uh, personally, I've endorsed uh, Isabel. What's her last name? Gerardo. Okay. And uh, she's running in CD14. Um, she's from the district. The antithesis. Like, totally different. Slightly less racist or not Much at all less, racist? M- not racist. Um, <laughs> um, Isabel's great. I've worked with Isabel. We actually... I've endorsed her. She's also endorsing my campaign for Congress. We want to work together on different levels when we're both elected. And I think she would be a fantastic replacement. But there's a lot of people running. Yeah. To, you know, I think a lot of people, even though Kevin is running again, I think a lot of people are running because they want to replace him. And I'm hoping that the people of CD14, you know, I hope that they vote him out. Final question about LA politics, which... Thank you for talking to me about this Absolutely. because there's a star on Hollywood Boulevard that my uh, two guests ago wants to rip out. But it seems like City Hall is super reluctant of doing this. Why do you think that's the case? You know, I don't know. I will say that I am personally and professionally in support of that star being removed. Great. If we're talking about the same person. Trump, Trump star. Trump shouldn't star. be there. Should be removed. I think I think it's the a big exception. My only guess as to why somebody would be hesitant to open that door would be this idea of, well, then then maybe we should remove this other person star mm-hmm. who was a known racist or this other person star who was a terrible person. Yeah. yeah. I do think though that it should be removed just on principle and you know, I don't think any of anybody else on the Walk of Fame is a president. I could be no, wrong. No, is there, I, I don't think, I think so. Right? Well, because it's, it's an entertainment thing. Yeah. So I think just from that point of view, you know, the fact that... Reagan is probably there. Oh, you're right. You're right. I bet you he's yep. there. So um, then shouldn't we remove Reagan's star? Well, well, the other side of the argument was during Black Lives Matter, we took down statues. Mm-hmm. So... What's the difference? Maybe we do. I wouldn't even be. I would not be opposed at all to a total reevaluation of everybody on that on that Walk of Fame. Do they really deserve to? You know, regardless of their contributions to entertainment. Yeah. Is this somebody who is a role model? Is this somebody who we actually should be celebrating or huh. not? Um, See, this is that might real- be a controversial point of view, but but it is a city street. And by the way, I don't think very many would get removed. Even even under close scrutiny, yeah, you know, and um, and so big, but big deal. Like, lift it up and put something else in there. There's two thousand of them. Who cares? Yeah, I think especially in L.A., just you know, L.A. is a we're a progressive town. I mean, certainly more so than than other cities, right? And just the amount of division that. Trump has caused and the amount of awful, racist, terrible policies that he has either instituted or tried to, um, I think we should remove it. And I don't know why the city council member is stalling on that. I don't know his personal views on it, but if he's listening, I want him to know that I support the removal of that star, as do many other Angelinos. If at least, if you're not going to, at least give us a reason why, or at least address it, at least... Bring it up. Yes. Um, what's the first bill you're going to pass as the first trans congressperson? I get United? asked this question a lot. You if, do? I do. I do. Well, I feel dumb. No, no, no. It's a great question, though. And I want people Please to know Please say legalize weed. Uh, well, that's something I absolutely support. And shrooms? 
And shrooms. Absolutely. <gasps> absolutely. Ecstasy? Sure. Yeah, I think we should decriminalize most drugs. You've got my drug. My, my you've got my drug. You've got my vote. I do not have his drugs. <laughs> for the record, but that's probably not at the top of your. Uh, that's not. But that's absolutely something I would support. Um, I have a bill. It's called the Protect LGBTQIA People Act, and essentially the intent of this bill is to not only federally secure the rights of LGBTQIA people, but to reverse the onslaught of anti-LGBTQIA legislation that has been introduced and passed over the past several years. Uh, And this includes sweeping federal protections for LGBTQIA people in all aspects of public life, from housing to employment to healthcare to school, etc. Great. Well, maybe best of luck to you. Oh, um, where can people uh, reach you and find about your candidacy? Yeah, uh, you can find me on the interwebs at maybeagirlforcongress.org. You can also find me on Instagram at maybeagirl or on Twitter. And maybe my first name is spelled M-A-E-B-E. Maybe. Thank you for being here. Thank you. How great was maybe? You know who we'd vote for based on their generosity, sweetness, and idealism? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, you're my favorite. Here's something you'll remember. So shout out to our Patreons. Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Grinke, Ben Welsh, Jen Adams, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wild, Dougie Gyro, Christina Up North, Robin Carey, Adam Shorn, Ben from Down Under, Chris from the ATX, Gregor, and Phil. To be a Patreon, go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give till it hurts. Want to support us, but you just got fined $354 million and you can't do business in New York for a few years? You can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook or Truth Social. Start with this one. Just share from our Facebook group and say, maybe a girl is my new favorite politician. Tweet this link out on your Twitter or your threads. Put it on your live journal for all I care. But tell your friends. Tell them how Here in LA is spelled and that it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and even YouTube. Here in LA is produced by myself, Tony Pierce. Music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Oregon and Jordan Katz. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and people everywhere just trying to figure out this damn thing while keeping it as real as possible. Thank you, patriots.